0: Hey folks, Randy Newberg here. Uh, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Hunt Talk Radio. Uh, today I am sitting in beautiful Bozeman, Montana, and I don't know how I convinced this person to take such a beautiful morning and spend it in front of a microphone rather than with fly rod in hand. But Mark Seacat is here with me, and I'm very grateful that uh, that he did decide to take take the invitation uh, mark thanks for uh, for being here yeah thanks for having me and uh those of you who don't know mark uh i think a lot of you probably do he owns uh ccat creative he started that founded that uh i think he started that because that uh, you know the the greatest the coolest man in the world the Dosekis guy i think you turned down that role for that commercial or something with all your world traveling and you
1: Man, that probably would have been a good gig. That would have been, <laughs> I doubt I would have turned that down had the
0: the offer came across my plate. Uh, well, uh, Mark has, I mean, he, he's traveled a lot, done a lot of things, and and Mark and I living in the same town, having a lot of the same groups we work with. Uh, our paths cross a lot. We get to share a lot of hunting stories, and and I've told the audience when we started this podcast a year ago that. At times, I wanted to have some of the best elk hunters they may have never heard of. And I don't know if you meet the may have never heard of, because a lot of people know you. Uh, but I think you meet the one of the best elk hunters category. And and we're going to get into that. But I, I don't want you to give any of your secret spots, Mark, because I know, well, you probably could. Because I I can't say I know exactly where you hunt, but I see some of the places you take pictures and I'm not going there anyhow. I think that's one of the one of the
1: nice parts is that, you know, a lot of people aren't venturing to those places at the times that we do. But I, I appreciate the, the compliment as one of the best elk hunters. I think I might be in the top 100 in our county. <laughs> in <laughs> you know, our county. You know, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of really great elk hunters that probably people haven't heard of around here, and a lot of people that I look up to. So yeah, it's a it's a wonderful compliment, one that you know I don't think I have achieved at this point, but it's something <laughs> that I I I'm thankful for for sure.
0: Well, it, it's funny you say that because uh, with doing our TV show, and I know our show probably. Uh, the the elk hunts we do probably are a little bit different than what you see on a lot of the other TV shows. And people will come up to me and say, man, I don't know how you do that. That looks pretty extreme. And I tell them, I said, you know, I would be in the lower half of badass elk hunters just in my hometown. And they look at me like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I'm 51 years old. I drive a desk for a living. And if you knew the guys in my hometown, what they do, where they go, and how they kill elk, I I, I don't even want to think about where they go. And people look at me like, "Holy crap!" But we are lucky to live here, um, the, from the standpoint of where we live. But the downside is, there's no rock in this part of the world that doesn't have an elk hunter crossing it at some point in the season.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good that's a good thing, you know. And the and the elk hunting community here is pretty open, and everybody. You know, every—it's kind of like an unspoken language. You know that everybody's just, you know, respectful of other people and and complimentary. And I think that that's a really cool aspect of this area. I haven't had any situations, you know, that make me feel otherwise. But it's a—I'm uh, very happy when people that I know that are hardcore elk hunters are killing great bulls, and and it's—I think it goes both ways you know and it's a it pushes you for sure yeah you know how many people are getting out there and getting after it here in this community um yeah it's it's unbelievable we're lucky to live here and (laughs) and, uh it's a it's a cool spot for sure yeah
0: it's a good place to have a creative agency like ccag creative it's Uh, it it makes it easy to you know to
1: attract high quality personnel (laughs) (laughs) you know it's uh yeah uh, Every aspect of it, you know, from the the climbing in the winter to, you know, the fishing all year round to the world class hunting opportunities. It's, you can be doing it in, you know, 10 minutes, five yeah. minutes. I know it's,
0: we, we better, maybe we're going to need a plug from the, the Bozeman uh, Tourism and Chamber of Commerce if we keep talking like this. And all of our fellow Bozemanites who are listening are like, would you guys shut up? <laughs> yeah. I, it's a, that's a hard, that's a hard thing, you know, because,
1: obviously you get to choose where you live and you know i've known for a long time that i wanted to live in bozeman i grew up in helena and it was just like bozeman was this crazy place you know with rugged mountains and great rivers to fish and not that helena doesn't have those things but right it's uh it's different here and it's a it's a cool spot and it's available for everybody to
0: go out there and enjoy so yeah lots of public land which people who've listened to this podcast know randy's thoughts on uh on protecting our public land but Before Mark and I get into the real deepness of this conversation, which is probably going to be more like a fireside hunting story conversation than it is anything, uh, I want to quickly uh, give thanks to the people who make this podcast possible. Uh, Those of you know about the GoHunt.com group, they have their research service uh, called The Insider. Uh, their, Their tagline is Be Your Own Hunting Consultant. And I use that just, it's crazy how much I use that. And you heard me talk about how it helped me discover a Utah unit where I drew the only non-resident archery mule deer tag for this coming fall. It also helped me uncover, and I, man, I, I don't know if I want to say this because you don't want to give away all the tips and tactics, but when I was doing my Wyoming deer research, I'm like, okay, here's my calendar opening. That that means I can't I don't want to burn my points cuz I've I'm, I'm already booked. Where is a really good second choice place I could draw? Uh and it's a spot I'd I'd driven through before and I saw all these bucks one evening. I'm like this is crazy. This is why is nobody hunting here? Well, I found out it was a lot of public, but or a lot of private. But I've figured out a way to navigate that on the BLM, and so I applied, and, and thanks to their research service showing how the draw odds and everything worked, I, on um, Tuesday I found out that me and Matt Seidel from uh, Onyx Maps drew the tag as a second choice. So anyhow, the the insider, go to gohunt.com and click on their insider, and if you sign up, uh, the good folks at Gerber are giving everybody a uh, a free Vital Scalpel Blade knife. Uh, it's the replaceable blade knife that you see us using out in the field. And uh, all you have to do to get that knife when you sign up is use the promo code HUNTTALK, H-U-N-T-T-A-L-K. And if you do that, you're going to get a really, really good knife from Gerber. Uh, Gohunt.com slash insider and use the promo code Talk, And then I told you that uh, Matt Seidel from Onyx Maps drew the tag with me in Wyoming, and the Onyx Maps guys are great supporters of this podcast also. Uh, they have their new hunt app out, and I was over there uh, getting, I guess you'd call it, schooled up or, or uh, educated as hard as that is for a old gray-haired 51-year-old guy like me to do. Uh, but the new hunt app they have, it, it takes everything and brings it to your desktop transferable and and uh interchangeable with your your cell phone your smartphone and uh if you go out to onyxmaps.com and you uh subscribe and and buy any of their products through their hunt app use the promo code randy 16 r-a-n-d-y 1-6 and you're going to get a large discount for doing that so very grateful for those companies to uh to be part of this podcast, and uh, now with that out of the way, Mark, we're gonna we're gonna tell hunt stuff. That was impressive. Was You're it good at that? Oh, You're really? really good at that. Uh, almost to the point now where it's like he might have done this a time or two. Yeah, for sure, for
1: sure. That's a the go hunt stuff is pretty. That's a pretty incredible service. I hadn't, yeah, you know, I have kind of shied away from a lot of that type of stuff and one of my close buddies Brendan Burns when that first started he was like man you got to check this out and uh-huh. so i became an inside member or an yep. insider member and it's just awesome that you have what you can like find out and learn there and what's even cooler is like the the service that they'll provide you i've been blowing up um Brady Miller you yep. know and he gives me he's like via text and Instagram messages, and he gives me such like great help, like in the, in the things yeah. that I'm looking for, and it's that's a really cool cool company for sure. Yeah,
0: and Mark referred to Brady Miller. Brady is kind of their content guy uh, at the Go Hunt. Super talented, yeah. and he's a serious archery mule deer hunter <laughs> which is why i'm trying <laughs> to get <go over. laughs> mark, uh, 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 mark was telling me before the the uh, podcast that his his goal this year is to focus on some serious mule deer hunting this year so i hope you get that dialed in and figured out
1: yeah thanks i hope so too uh, we'll have a good time but
0: sure. is, is that going to interfere with your your normal september elk hunting
1: yeah it will you know, i it's a, uh, this, this trip is more of about a trip of friendship. You know, I'm going yeah. down there with a great buddy of mine, um, Bobby Warner, and one of my best friends, Adam Foss, and mm-hmm. doing some stuff that, you know, we haven't done before and hunting like all three of us together, which I think will be pretty cool, you know, yeah. and not the focus isn't, you know to kill three deer the focus is to go have a good time with people that you know should really get along well and adam's never met bobby and and it should be should be a pretty cool yeah. time you know which is cool.
0: i think it's a, a cool way of looking at it yeah in so, terms of a hunt so uh there there will be uh maybe a couple elk in montana that get a reprieve this year that or, or the, you'll still fit some time in? It seems like the elk during <laughs> archery season have been getting a reprieve from me for a long time. So uh, it's, uh, the, the, that That's this whole work thing gets in the way sometimes. I
1: I still get a lot of days during <laughs> archery season. It's just a matter of, for me, like, you know, I think the the beauty of where I live and what I get to do is the number of days that I can spend doing it. And I've got a very flexible schedule and a, and a wonderful partner in crime that you know supports me to get out there and and do the stuff that I love so it's yeah as many days as I can get in the fall like I've told somebody at one point that if you know if I killed an elk on the first day of the season like I'd feel pretty bummed out about it <laughs> you know even if it was a great big giant which is what it would take but I, that's uh yeah and I've, it's harder, it gets harder and harder for me to like find the animal that I'm looking for. So yeah, I, get, I feel like I get pickier and pickier and, yeah. you know, it bit me last year a little bit, but that's just the way it goes sometimes.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think you reach a point where it's the days in the field that are more important than what the end result is, yeah. at least for me anyhow. Yeah. And the people that you're with. Yeah. You know,
1: it's a... That, that aspect of it for me is really what motivates me for hunting is the, the time that I get to spend with people that you know I really love and cherish and, and you build relationships with and friendships grow deeper and I think that's yeah. a super important
0: aspect to it yeah it, it is for me I just you know I, I I you know people are like gee Randy you call that a job you spend 100 days a year hunting um, and when you spend 100 days a year hunting it is very important that you spend those days with people you want in places you want trying to tell stories you want to me. If, if my job was, I had to go and find a bigger buck every day or had some, you know, artificial setting of, okay, this animal has to be of this size to get on TV. I would have hung it up like after the first year, (laughs) just because to me, the stories are, are, personal human interaction friendship you know relationship stories i mean some of our best episodes are the ones where it's me and another a longtime friend me and my uncle or me and my son i think just because people can relate to that they they hunt for the same reasons you just talked about definitely so so when i first met you mark i think that was oh gosh 2007 something like that everything I'd heard about you is you were this crazy mountaineering guy that had done a couple trips to McKinley and, and tell correct me. It's been a while since I, I knew all this, but you, you grew up in Helena, but you had this hunting passion all your life. You're, it's part of your family, but you really got into mountaineering for a while. It sounded like,
1: yeah, I think I've been, you know, I've kind of followed like different, different paths, like at different points in my life based on what was, you know, really motivating and, Growing up in Helena, you know, we spent most of our time hunting in the Tobacco Root Mountains, you know, just west of Bozeman here, and and uh, would travel down there my dad met a landowner back in the day they there was an article on in the independent record in helena that was like tobacco root mountains have too many elk like landowners want elk hunters and, <laughs> there's no such thing as too many elk is yeah. there? <laughs> well that if was the landowner there is yeah and and my dad went down there and you know knocked on knocked on the door the first door he knocked on was a a wonderful you know ranching family and and they gave him access to hunt their land as long as he walked from the house and and it was a pretty neat, pretty neat deal, and um, they became lifelong friends, and that gentleman's now my godfather, and my mom was hunting the ranch, you know, when I was in the womb, so it's, it's a, I grew up hunting, and and loving it, and grew up fishing, and, and, you know, played sports going through high school, and, and went to school in Colorado on a football scholarship, and that was like the one year for me where I didn't get a chance to really hunt elk, and a lot of things aligned, including like a, a horrible football injury that didn't allow me to play quarterback anymore, <laughs> and so I it was pretty much immediate that, you know, I was going to come back to Montana State and kind of follow my dream of living in Bozeman and and uh, started, yeah, I went to school here and and you know really got into fishing and and like did that a lot more and kind of followed that as far as I. As far as I could, I took a semester off and went to New Zealand for six months of just solo fly fishing, which was a tremendous experience. And once you do something like that, you come back. And even as as good as Montana is for fly fishing, like that, like experience of going there and doing it every day and catching, you know, huge trout, like 10 pound plus trout on small little dry flies is a pretty tremendous experience. So I kind of like lost the drive to fish more. Um, never lost the drive to hunt more, but just kind of, you know, lost that drive to fish a little bit more. And it was, a the, the timing worked out really well that I kind of fell into a group of people at Montana state that were into climbing and some of the, some tremendous climbers, you know, guys like Whit Megro and, and those type of guys that were, that are now pushing the envelope of what anybody in the world is doing, you know, mm. in Bozeman and, and, uh, Got to do some, you know, the Bozeman Ice Festival is a really, really cool program that puts new, t- new like ice climbers out there with some of the world's best um, climbers, and it was just a, it was something that was unbelievable. Um, I actually got belayed on my first ice climb by a guy named Mark Twight, who's like a tremendous, tremendous climber. Um, wrote a book called Extreme Alpinism that was like. I got belayed by him. Didn't really understand who he was, and it was like Steve House <laughs> is there, and Barry Blanchard, and and just these like tremendous like climbers, um, Conrad Anchor, like all these guys. And it's just like it's hard not to when you live in this community and those people are around you. Like I remember when you know, Alex Lowe used to have like garage sales at the end of the season, you know, at his (laughs) house. And like, you could go and get like all this amazing gear that was like barely used that he was recycling. And so it was like, I really looked up to those people and that was a driver. And I had a few friends that were really into it and I started getting into climbing and, you know, that was, yeah, one thing after another, I studied business finance and economics here at MSU and graduated and had a lot of opportunities to go to New York or Chicago and the trade markets. And I had a professor that was just like, you'd be perfect at this. You got to do it. And set up a bunch of interviews for me. And I ended up like, you know, when graduation came around, it was like, he was like, well, are you going to go like do those things? And I was like, I'm actually like packing everything into my car. And like, I'm moving to Washington for the summer with one of my best friends and we're going to live in his parents' house. And, just climb mountains. And and I think that my professor didn't quite understand that, but I, my parents were very supportive of anything that I wanted to do. And so we went out there and we like worked one job the whole summer and like roofed, like re-roofed the neighbor's house (laughs) and made enough money to to like, to go climb, to climb. And we just like, we just ticked off, you know, a lot of those big volcanoes and went on a lot of big trips and, and, Yeah, it was. uh, After that, I like came back at the end of the summer and and worked as a bartender in Helena and saved my money to go down to um, South America and I went down there and climbed Aconcagua by myself. Um, I think I was like 21 or
0: 22 at the time. Yeah, that is that the trip where things didn't necessarily go as planned.
1: Yeah, it was. uh, I actually got um, stuck after like coming down from the climb i got stuck in a camp at 19,000 feet and some pretty tremendous weather and they have a they have a weather event down there called the white wind um, and it's just like crazy crazy wind conditions and i got stuck in that situation for you know it was probably like 36 hours and there wasn't it was like on an area of the mountain on Aconcagua that doesn't have a lot of snow and so it was it was hard to like get water and like, you know, I was like taking ice chunks and like melting them, and they're like sandy and gritty, and yeah. you know, it was like one of those situations. Where it was like okay, like time to go down, and and I, it's so crazy how one like simple decision can change a lot of things in that world. And the decision I was um, at the time, um, I had a Bibler Fitzroy tent, which is one of the greatest tents that was ever made—a single wall. Uh, tent and the the tent poles are on the inside of the tent and they sit against the the wall and they have these little tiny plastic clips um, that hold it in place. And I couldn't, with my big gloves on, I couldn't undo the clips because I had like these big black diamond gloves on Mm -hmm. and I couldn't undo the clips. So I took, I took my gloves off. I've got like my, my tent, like, you know, strapped to my backpack filled with all my stuff. So the wind won't blow it away. Everything's out of the tent. All I have to do is break down the tent, shove it into the backpack, and start the descent. And so I'm like undoing these clips. I undid all the clips, and then the, my error was that I didn't immediately put my gloves back on when the clips were done. Done, and so I grabbed the aluminum poles and broke down all the aluminum poles. And there's four poles in that tent design. And through the process of doing that, the the temperature that the poles had been at. Um was really cold, and it transferred that cold temperature into my into my fingertips. Yeah. And the net result was I ended up with third degree frostbite on eight of my fingers. Wow. Um, and it was, and so I didn't realize exactly what happened. I put my gloves back on, my hands were cold. I got the ten in, and I started my descent. and from um, I think it was I went from nineteen thousand feet to the base camp. Um, which was at thirteen thousand feet, and during that time period, it was a, it was a pretty pretty long descent by yourself with a heavy load, and yeah. and uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I was getting knocked down by the wind, where it would just like come around the corner. You could hear it coming, and it would just knock me down. Um, and by the time I got to base camp, I had made some friends there at base camp. You know, coming in as a, somebody that's climbing solo, you like rely on people, yeah. and, and you become friends with people, and. And I had made made some friends, and and I showed them my hands, and they immediately it was you know everybody was helping out, and and it was a, yeah it was <clears throat> it was a bad deal, and huh. I ended up in a hospital in on the um, argentinian Chilean border, a military hospital, and they you know looked at me, and it was just like okay like there's not much we can do now, and it it was a it was rough because I was on a I was at the beginning of an eight month trip to South America. Oh wow! And I was just a few weeks in. my My whole goal was to go down there, climb the mountain, sell all my mountaineering gear, and then use the money to like continue to travel around and fish in Patagonia. And I had all my fishing stuff with me as well. and And so it was a quick it was a quick turnaround. And I. I ended up, I had pieced the ticket together. I think it was like a $600 ticket to get to South America through yeah. like three different airlines. <laughs> and so coming back was really hard. I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't button a button. Mm-hmm. I couldn't zip my zipper on my pants and the pressure in all the different airplanes like was, was really hard on, on my fingers. And, and, uh, yeah, I remember my parents like coming down to Salt Lake to pick me up. Cause that's the closest I could get back to Montana. And, yeah. uh, and just my mom, like in tears, like, look, my hands were, it was, you know, pretty s- ugly, pretty ugly. And, uh, I met with a doctor and, in Helena and, and he was, uh, he was, he told me that I'd never do any, you know, high altitude or cold weather mountaineering again, and that I'd never be able to s- play a stringed instrument and all those type of things. And, and, uh, that was pretty motivating uh, yeah. for me, and I did a lot of research I mean this is like my my like fingernails like basically the tips of my fingers like fell off in the process they turned black, and yeah you know it was a it was a sight Lightly. to <laughs> see really um, yeah, but it was motivating to have somebody tell me a bunch of stuff that I couldn't do, yeah and I started researching like how the Inuits handle like frostbite and what they do and cold water immersion and all this stuff. And I started like taking it upon myself to like heal and, and did a really good job. And I've, you know, since then, I think that was in, so that was like at the, um, that happened. It was like December 21st of 2002, I think. And in May of 2003, I was standing on top of Denali with a buddy, so wow. it was uh, it was motivating. <laughs> started learning how to play the mandolin. You know, it's just like
0: I love it. Like it when people tell me I can't do something. Yeah. yeah. So kind of like my wife, when some you know when I started the TV show and it was all self guided public land hunting. It was kind of not not to that degree of <laughs> of a physical challenge, but I was told, oh, that'll never work no one will watch that blah 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 and so I came home after one of the big trade shows and told my wife and she she gets this concerned look like oh I hate it when someone tells Randy he can't do it that means he's now got something that he's gonna try to do exactly (laughs) exactly Uh, yeah so I guess
1: mountaineering was a just an important important aspect you know that like suddenly that was something that you know I, I really loved to do and and I had a lot of really great experiences and a lot of unbelievable trips and you know I was like I was going to Alaska and to go on climbs and and figure out ways to you know spend more time in the mountains and you know my life pretty much revolved around it and I was living in cars with buddies and doing whatever I could you know to maximize the time that I could spend in the mountains and yeah. that was a that was a focus you know I was kind of caught in that time period where you're like what am I going to do with my life and, you know, asking my dad, like what I should do and all those type of things. And he was just like, keep doing what you're doing. The job that you'll eventually do probably hasn't even been invented yet, you know, and just keep having fun. Cause I was like, maybe I should, you know, get my MBA. Maybe I should take the LSAT. Like I'd probably be a good lawyer, like all those type of things. And and it was cool to have a dad and a, and a family that was just like, you know what, just like do what you want to do and do what you love and you'll figure out a way to make
0: it all work. And, yeah. Huh. Well, the growing up is overrated anyhow. It is. I mean, I always say when I grow up and right now I've been able to make it 51 years without growing up. So I I I would anyone listening to this, I would say, you know, maybe you want to just defer the growing up part of it because uh growing up is overrated in my mind. But So, with that background, Mark, I <laughs> You know, I followed you and your brother-in-law, Andrew, one time in Utah on an elk hunt. He he had that tag down there. And fortunately, I had a camera guy that was in a lot better shape than I was. But watching you guys run around the rocks and canyons and stuff there, it, it was interesting to watch how two mountaineering people, or people with a mountaineering background, chased elk. I, I There was a part of me where I thought, Are you guys here to just jump on them and stab them or are you guys actually trying to shoot this thing with a bow i mean you you guys got after it and uh so it got me to thinking uh as part of this podcast um are there a lot of those kind of skills and disciplines and just mental mindset from mountaineering that translated well to to elk hunting the way you you elk hunt now
1: i think that the biggest like part where those two things like correlate together are the, the partnerships, you know, it's a hunting is, is typically it's a very, it's a solo type achievement or endeavor. And I think that that I've never really looked at it as that, like all the greatest experiences that I've had, I feel like are, you know, with hunting partners and, and that's the partnership with mountaineering or climbing, ice climbing, rock climbing. That's the you you rely so much on your partner. And I think that all of the, all of those things like, you know, kind of lead to, you know, where you end up and, and far, as far as like now, how I approach any type of hunting activity is, you know, with a friend or, you know, with a partner. It's, I rarely do stuff solo. Uh, and I think it's just that, like it's part of friendship and, and that, that aspect of it is really cool. Obviously the gear, you know, associated with it when you, when you're, you know climbing Denali like the gear is very important and the type of footwear the socks the everything you know the the tents all that stuff come into play so now I have a you know very good understanding of what works and what doesn't in really harsh environments and so I feel like you know that that aspect it you know also is pretty important to it and what you take what you don't you know how to lighten up your load and you know, those type of aspects, what to eat, yeah. you know, in terms of like calorie intake, um, it's super important. And I think that all that, like all that stuff that I learned from mountaineering, you know, translates really well over to hunting and makes it a lot easier, you know, to look at situations and know what to do, what to take, you know, yeah. how to dress, how to layer all those type of things.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things that, uh, and maybe there's somewhere in the mountaineering world where this happens also, but I, when I first started elk hunting, I, I was the worst elk hunter that ever. Uh, like most everything I start into, I'm usually the worst you've ever seen. and It's just a lot of trial and error for me to have to learn the hard way. And If I've been blessed with one thing uh, in life, it's not a lot of talent, but it's a level of determination and a level of uh, stick to that usually gets me through a lot of these struggles. And in elk hunting, public land elk hunting anyhow... The, the way that, that we do it for our platforms is you get to this point where it's, it, you, you see people who, who come to it and they're going through the same phase. I feel like when I started, they hadn't. They the, they hadn't built the proper I'll say expectation of how much work it's going to be, how much frustration is going to be there, how many failures are going to be there, and a lot of times I'll I'll talk to people or I'll see them or I'll bump into them out in the woods and and I can see them going through that mental struggle point in in that process. Whereas now I'm beyond that where it it really doesn't even phase me if something goes wrong or we're not seeing anything. I. It's just, well, this is part of what public land elk hunting really is. And, and so I, I try to tell people that the, first of all, killing an elk when you find it with a rifle is probably one of the easier things to do. Finding elk is harder, but having the mental fortitude on public land, on these backpack hunts to keep going and pushing on is probably where most people just turn around and say, screw it, not worth it. i is it, I mean? Do you get that same situation in in the mountaineering world? I would think where you you really don't realize until you push through it that hey this this can be done. I think at least I did anyhow in the elk hunting world. I kind of set up my own hurdles that maybe didn't have to be there, and then once I climb those hurdles and push through, it's now those hurdles are nowhere in my mind ever anymore. It's just do it and push through and stay focused on what I'm doing. Yeah. I think a
1: lot of it is, um, in, in terms of both mountaineering and and hunting is like a achievement based success where people feel like if, well, if I reach the summit, like I'll, I'll be able to say I made it to the summit or if I, you know, kill a great big elk, I'll be able to say I killed a great big elk. And I think a lot of people that, that struggle and the effort that it takes is the, that's the real like gold of like being involved in that activity. I think that that's, it's hard for people that, you know, might not, you know, live here, you know, or, you know, might not live anywhere in the West where there is a, you know, an elk population or if they didn't grow up doing it to like, you know, break through that. But I think it's, it's definitely achievable for people. Uh, I think that the biggest thing is not to set, like, unrealistic goals. Yeah. You know, I have a I have a friend that um, lives, you know, in Maryland, and, and he's been out on a, on a lot of hunts. And, you know, he initially was motivated, well, I just got to kill a great big six-point, you know. And, yeah. and I told him at one point, I was like, if you're coming from out of state and you're, like, going on elk hunts, like, you know, unless you're, like, going on, like, the best private ranches with the <laughs> you know their best outfitters and all those type of things and like the expectation is that you will kill a giant the, the the best way to learn and to experience it is to look at it as a long-term plan and you should shoot like every legal elk that's standing in front of you when you see it right. you know and fill your tag mm. and if you if you don't do that like you're going to you're going to leave feeling that um, you may have missed out. And like, eventually, like if, you know, you start by shooting a cow and, and, and eventually you're going to get lucky and everything, the stars will align and there'll be a great big bull right there. And, and it's just a matter of like preparing yourself for that time so that you can handle the situation when you do and, and go through the ups and downs and the struggles. And they're all worthwhile, like regardless of whether you kill an elk or not, like that struggle is worthwhile for yeah. sure.
0: Yeah, that's, to me, that's the story, that's the pleasure, that's, I, you know, very seldom when I'm sitting around the campfire with my buddies do I talk about the the hunts where everything went smooth and easy. It's always the the stories we remember and the ones that we talk about are, remember that blizzard or remember when we got lost or, or whatever it might be. I mean, and so for me, every one of those had one of those challenging times where I thought, well... This isn't going to work out. Hell with it. I'm going home. But I didn't go home. Stuck with it. And lo and behold, the day, two days, three days later, all of a sudden, the planets aligned and there's a, a bull, whether it's a big bull, small bull. But for me, it, it really doesn't matter if you're out west, especially if you're a traveling elk hunter. I think to come out west and if you do it yourself and you shoot any elk on public land, you should be really pleased with with what you've accomplished i mean that's i i maybe we set false expectations in some of the media world i, I suspect we probably do and well without a doubt
1: i mean that's the the pressure associated for people to try to live up to what they see on magazine covers or in tv yeah. shows you know yeah. i mean or in all aspects of it you know i mean i feel the same way you know in terms of like whitetail hunting like you know, I, I, well, I need to kill a big one, you know, I'm, but I'm not, I'm learning. So yeah. it's okay to like go through that process yeah. of like getting better at it. But it's definitely something in, in media where in traditionally it has been motivated by how big or what the score is or the, and there's still a lot of aspects to that. Um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully people can see through that. And I, I know a lot of people do, um, you know, to why they're there and what they're trying right. to experience and, and why it's a good thing just to be out there and how lucky you are to get a chance to go. Yeah. You know I mean? Well, most people are carving out time from a very busy schedule to spend their like precious vacation time on a trip. And I think that if they can look at it more as like vacation and not put that expectation on it, um, I think that'd be a great thing. A lot of people put a lot of pressure on themselves to be successful in terms of what other people or what media has put out there and, and, I think you're missing the point, yeah. you know, Really, if that's what's happening, and I think a lot of people might experience that a couple times, and then they come to the understanding that, oh, yeah, I'm here to enjoy and to have fun and to learn, right? And about the friendships and the people that I'm with, yeah. the place that I'm at, I get to
0: spend time in too. Yeah, I that that expectation thing or pressure thing, I think that's that is so true. And I I was victim of that in what year was it? Two thousand five yeah I drew a Nevada elk tag and everyone's like oh you got to shoot a 360 or better bull so I I'm you know at that time I've maybe shot six or eight bulls in my life and I never shot a 360 bull so I'm like still feeling oh yeah this guy said that and it's someone I respect Boy, I better shoot a 360 bull and then uh, a kind of a funny story I i told my buddy jerry pritchard i said hey i I drew this nevada elk tag and this was back before arizona let you buy a point so you had to actually apply in the draw i told jerry he grew up in williams arizona he said uh i said i i don't need another tag i i just need a point what should i apply for he said oh apply for the unit 10 early rifle elk tag you'll never draw it don't worry about that well lo and behold I drew like tag number five or something out of the 50 or 25 tags. So that year was the first year I really had an opportunity with some, you know, what some people would call once in a lifetime elk tags. And I I did feel pressure that, oh, gee, if I don't shoot like a 360 bull, everyone's going to think I bailed out or whatever. And I, I still had the, the idea that i no matter what the outcome is, I want to go there. I want to try to figure it out myself, go through those frustrations, go through the whole process of, okay, it worked or it didn't work. And, and accept my own results for what the results were. And end of the story when it's all over, I've, uh, I've shot two very nice bulls, one in each state, um, but they weren't 360 bulls, but I was super happy. But there were times when that pressure is almost like, oh, you had that tag and you only shot a 330 bull or a 340 bull. Uh, yeah, man, I had a blast. I' spent it with my uncle and some great friends and so I, and now we, we see it and I think it's even more amplified today than it was 10 years ago of people will draw what I'll call a glory tag for lack of a better term. And the pressures I, they'll contact me. they're like, man there's a lot of pressure with this tag and i almost want to say take the pressure off release the steam here and I, I don't know i i worry that the media world is is contributing to that in a in a bad way yeah know? that's
1: it's hard i i find myself like in i've yet to draw like a tremendous I've i've like got lucky in like some of the tag drawings in Utah and that kind of stuff. I've yet to really have, like, one of those tremendous tags. And I know that I eventually will get there as my points build across the West. But um, And there will no doubt be that pressure when it, when that happens. And I have, like, I have this, like, I don't know what it is, but I'm not worried so much about my fall a lot of time. I'm, I'm thinking about, like, I have so many friends that draw great tags, and I, I want to go and experience it and be there to, like, help them. Um, because there's there is a lot of pressure and if you're not if you're focused on like how big a bull you're trying to find you know you don't eat right or you don't like chill and relax and so as people draw tags like I find myself saying yes to go on lots of different hunts because (laughs) I just want to go and like the opportunity for some of those areas you know as like friends have drawn like some of the better elk tags in Montana or Nevada or the places I've gotten to go hunt Utah um I want to go because the opportunity just to see those bulls, like that type of bull, like and find them is it's an, uh, I get enough out of that to where I don't need to be the hunter. Um, But the pressure that I've had friends put on themselves is, is crazy. And if they come home without it lingers for a long time. And I think that that's like, it's not, I don't know if it's a pressure that the media has put on per se, as much as it's like a pressure because of how much time people spend waiting and dreaming you yeah. know friends of mine in utah that have waited 12 16 years to draw tags like right. they put a lot of pressure on themselves and um you know it's that, that's a hard thing but i think it's also human nature you right. know if you're a hunter and you've been waiting and waiting and waiting and finally you draw the tag it's like you 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 almost want that as a like some sort of um glorification that it's like I look at all the time and effort and the years i spent applying and this is the fruit of that labor uh, it doesn't always work out that way though and yeah. it's a that's part of it you know and how people deal with it and you know it, i try never to put any pressure on people that have those great tags and try to do whatever i can to help them
0: yeah well if people went to my desk drawer and opened up the drawer to see the number of unpunched glory tags that are in that drawer they would see an arizona strip mule deer tag that I hunted from start of season to end of season, kind of had it in my mind what I wanted and passed some really, really nice bucks. But quite honestly, I don't have any regrets. It was a great fun hunt, uh, hunted with a great guy, Breck Bundy down there. Uh, this is 2007, I think, and my uncle joined me and we just, we had a blast in a place that I'd never been to and quite likely we'll never get to go again. Um, in that drawer, they will find an Arizona antelope tag, an archery tag from unit five B. Um, I could have shot many bucks on that hunt. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Eli Grimmett, (coughs) him and his dad have, uh, bless you. Uh, Eli and his dad, Tony have a service called pronghorn guide service and, and they were scouting for the governor's tag there and one day, uh. i I see eli looking at this really nice buck and i'm i'm on the hill up above him and i text him and said what do you think of that buck and he's like where are you i'm like i'm on the hill right up above you he's like that's like an 84 inch buck why aren't you shooting that and uh the answer was because it was early in the hunt and i'd seen some other super duper nice bucks and and so that tag is still in, in my desk drawer. Um, I have a Unit 17 Archery Elk tag from New Mexico that's still in my desk drawer. I've, I've got all kinds of glory tags that I never punched. And they were some of the funnest hunts that I've ever done. And, and I, I bring that up here because I want the listener to understand that I, I've had the benefit of that. And it's going to be okay if you don't fill that tag. Don't, don't stress yourself.
1: Yeah, for sure. And if you set a goal, if you have a goal in mind and you say, okay, like I really want to kill a 380 bull this year and you walk away from a 360 bull because that's your goal. And as long as you like, if you set a goal and you're happy with that goal and you like the effort and the time that you put in to try to get it and you, and you walk away from stuff that other people would be, you know, unbelievably stoked with like that i think as long as you set the goal and you're like stick to it that's great like you know the minute that you're like well okay i'll do this or the old you know saying that like you know don't like pass on a bull you'd be happy to shoot the last day like you know i've never really looked at that it's always been you know set a goal and and try to achieve it and if you don't like that that doesn't mean that you didn't have a great experience right
0: you know yeah and and for me it's just whatever turns my fancy on that hunt I, and and I can't say that it's going to be a, a a big animal a funky looking animal whatever it's going to be is just what it's going to be I've I've went on a lot of pronghorn hunts and ended up not filling the tag cuz I was looking for something ugly for me ugly pronghorn is like my new problem in life if you want to call it that so for those of you listening don't don't get yourself all worked up and and you know so tightly wound about these tags because this now we're it's june all the drawings have been out for the most part guys are sitting on their sheep tags or elk tags or whatever and i just i hope they can see it as a great opportunity to have a wonderful hunt and let the outcome be what the outcome is and not not take the fun out of it. but so That, that was a distraction or a tangential conversation about me starting down the path of media and you at C cat creative, Mark, you guys get to do a lot of work in the hunting industry. And I see the message in the product that you guys put out. And a lot of people may not know, Oh, that was made by secret creative or produced by C cat creative. I just about always know because I know what your guys' style is, what, what your look and feel is. Just about everything you guys put out is about the experience. I'm trying to think if I've ever seen anything that you guys have produced for one of your clients that was about something huge or whatever. Is that in in this, I guess, in this modern-day world where everyone's racing for bigger, 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 you got Mark and Seacat Creative over here kind of following their own path, telling their clients, no, it's not about bigger, it's about depth and 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 something something deeper than that is that am I saying that right
1: yeah I think that's that's always been our mindset you know I mean back in the day when my like goal was to be a professional climber like you have to continue to push yourself all the way to like the brink of death all the time and that continuing to push you like you see people you know, fall off or people die because of that. And it's the same way with hunting. Like if you, if it's always about how big something is, like you're setting yourself up for failure, you know? Yeah. And if you, I think for us, it's always have been about that, the path. And I think that came from the mountaineering background is like the hard work and effort is more important than the summit or reaching the top of the, the climb. You know, I think that that's the that's where it came from for us and like to try to show like what is authentic because then you always have a story you know and whether you kill something or not it doesn't matter yeah you know because that's not the purpose of it that's not the end goal um so i think we've always kind of looked at it as as that and have surrounded ourselves with companies and people that get that and and believe in it and i think that that's the the most important part anyways. And if we get a chance to like be on the stage where people see what we do, or we get to work for these great companies, we might as well share the parts that are really important versus what, you know, is just an afterthought almost in, in terms of what you do and what you get. And I think a lot of people would say, well, maybe that's the, it, maybe they say that because they don't, you know, they don't kill anything or that kind of thing. And yeah. and you see that that happens with people that, you know, have a, a show or something that they almost, act let down if they didn't get anything and it's like you know if you go into it knowing that the beauty is in the experience and the the trip and and going from there then you know sometimes it's going to work out exactly as you hope and plan for (laughs) and other times it isn't but as long as as long as that's your mindset you're going to have something of high quality to share with people and I think that's where as a business, we've always looked at it that way as, you know, we want to share every man's story we're no different than anyone else.
0: Like we want to share something that anyone can relate to. Yeah. Well, and I I tell people that that my job isn't to necessarily shoot an animal on every trip because I'd say about 30% of our episodes, we end up not filling a tag. And my job is to go out and hunt, And find what the story is while we're hunting. That's really what my job is. Because like you said, if you go out there and you're just there in the mountains or the hills or the woods for five days or seven days or ten days, there's some story there. And there's some story there that's probably more of a not man against nature, not man against man, but kind of a man against himself sort of storyline. And I think those are the stories, at least for me. I hope I'm right when I say this, that I think that's what our audience, our listener, our viewer is more intrigued by because they can relate to it. They've been there. It's happened to them. They they've struggled before. They've almost quit and then decided not to quit. And all of a sudden it worked out for them or they've came home and said, you know what? I gave him my best and it just didn't work out. It's, to me, that's, that's my job. And I, I see that in the product that you guys put out for your, for your clients and You know we've we've got a couple mutual clients that you and i work with um sitka gear and and uh you guys do a lot of stuff for them and and the imaging i think everybody would agree that the imaging for sitka gear is 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 great it 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 conveys that feeling that that the brand wants to have and and you guys are heavily involved in a lot of
1: that yeah we've been we've been working with those guys since really since the beginning you know i mean i when I was back working at mystery ranch back in the day, I remember seeing like the first Sika catalog and a, a pair of size 32 mountain pants showed up to, at um, mystery ranch every single Friday. And I was just like this pile of like Sika pants was showing up and I was just like, there must be an error like hit there in the shipping department. Something's going on. And, um, uh, Andrew and and Luke Buckingham had like traded one of their guys a, a Mystery Ranch pack for some gear, and they just got stuck in the system that we got this pair of size thirty two mountain <laughs> pants every week. And so I called the shipping guy, and I was just like, "Hey, this, a pair of size," and the pants didn't fit me,
0: so that's why. Like, I was like, "Okay, well, let's
1: see how we can." Play if you're gonna this. ship
0: them, ship something that fits.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I was just like, I was just like, "Hey, like the." this is happening and and the guy was he was you know really nice on the phone and you could tell that it was like he was like oh geez like i've messed up here like what can we do you know to like i was like i can i can send them all back i think there was like 12 or 16 pairs of pants it was like (laughs) it was getting crazy and i was like hey i can ship them all back like you know um the thing that i would ask from you is maybe you could give me you know the the founder's emails address, you know? And, and so that was like my end with Sika, And we, I saw their first catalog and they had some great, some great real images in there. And, um, but I knew I was sitting on imagery like of hunting yeah. that would blow those out of the water. And I was just like, what a great opportunity. Yeah. Um, and reached out to those guys and, you know, started a relationship really quickly with them. And, and I think the first time that we got clothing we immediately went out and went on a hunt and got real photos that was I think like the you know the cover of the the second catalog and like 90% of the imagery in the catalog and then it was like the first year I ever got to go to trade shows and the whole Sika booth was covered and my pictures of my brother-in-law yeah. <clears throat> and so that was a that was really cool you know and they were like they were the first company really that was like, okay, authentic experiential imagery, much like Patagonia or black diamond has done in their respective worlds. This is the, how we want to market to people. And I thought that that was really, really cool. And I mean, I worked for those guys for like three or four years, you know, and just like trading imagery for, you know, a, a bow or those type of things, you know, and, and just really loved that brand and wanted to, wanted to do whatever I could to work with them in the, you know, at the time, the gear wasn't. The gear has never been Im- important to me, as far as like getting stuff for free or in trade. And, like, I've always had really, really great gear yeah. from the mountaineering side. It was always about like, you know, helping to lead hunting, hopefully into an area that it was authenticity was really important and the mm-hmm. experience was important, and the imagery comes out of that. You know, and and I think that that's a that's a cool thing about that brand is they've always like pushed forward with that. And you see it, you, you've seen it like explode in the industry since. And, yeah. and I think that that's, a, that's awesome. Like I'm, I'm not, you know, as I look at the marketing from other companies like Kuyu or First Light, you know, I mean, I'm, it's awesome. Yeah. You know, I love to see that. I love to see where companies are going with the, with that marketing and people are really pushing the bar. And, you know, as we have like competitors of SICKA push the bar, it means that we get to do more amazing things and we get to go more places and, and people get to see that more. And I think
0: that's a really cool aspect of what has happened within the space. Yeah. And, uh, to the point of, you know, you, you guys have been pretty selective about who you work with, you don't want to be necessarily. And, and I don't, if I'm putting words in your mouth, correct me, but I get the sense that you guys don't want to be all things everybody. You just want to be really good at what you do and work with companies who share the same, the same vision of a brand and, and vision of hunting as, as you do. And in what I've been doing, a lot of people are like well why don't you why aren't you involved with this company or that company and it's it's nothing against any company it's that i have chose which companies i want to deal with first of all I have to be heavily involved in conservation if they aren't big supporters of conservation my brand and their brand probably isn't going to mix that well and it's really helped me have a clarity to the message i want to have it gives me all this confidence that you know what? These people are with me for the same reason I'm with them. So if I stick my neck out on a political issue or something, I probably don't have to worry that I'm going to get a phone call from someone saying, Hey, Newberg, your contract's expired and stuff like that. And, uh, and so I I, I see how you guys have been doing this in your business, and it's, it's just fun to watch you guys do that because it kind of confirms that You know what, Randy? Maybe you're not completely an idiot for turning down these other opportunities. You got your vision for a brand and a message, and you're sticking with it. Even if your wife says, how long do we got to make payments on this TV show job that you have? Because uh, she says that the TV show is the funnest job I ever bought. Right, and a lot of people think that I'm making all this money doing TV if, if they only knew
1: (laughs) I yeah I feel like for us it's I've always been really comfortable in the fact that we hunted down the companies that we wanted to work with or we really evaluated their marketing and their efforts and said hey we can improve upon what they're doing and it's always been like if you look at like our client list everything has been long-term relationships yeah You know, and it's been built over hard work and effort. And eventually, like if you put that in, it leads to, you know, great, great opportunities. And and, you know, I mean, I at Mystery Ranch, like I went into the office and wasn't an employee there and just like worked there. For, I think, nine months leading up to, like, taking a job for $8 an hour as a janitor, (laughs) you know, with them. With SICA, like, we provided stuff for over three years before we ever saw a paycheck. And Mm -hmm. I think that the trust that companies have and the hard work and effort is paramount. You know, you just you can't go back. Every company that we've worked with, we've done so for a long time period. And we're starting to get to that point where like, we've gotten bigger companies are getting bigger. There's change in different roles and marketing when people leave. And that's, that can be hard as, as you know, contracts, you know, disappear or, or go down or those type of things. But it's a, it's a long-term look at it. And I feel very comfortable that we haven't ever chased the mighty dollar. You know, yeah. we've, we've done what we've wanted to do and have stuck with the the formula that works for us. And, and I think that that's a, a pretty cool aspect to it. Yeah.
0: Well, and now given some background to how Mark, uh, his philosophy about imaging, imagery, messaging, all that, I I don't want to put you too much on the spot here, Mark, but... I I am worried that in the hunting space, what our messages are sometimes are not necessary. And by that, I mean, whether it's the media folks like me with TV show, all of us who have TV shows or what's on magazine covers and other stuff is, is this the direction we, we want hunting to be going and I've been a contrarian in the TV world of okay, I'm just going to do these self guided public land hunts, and if I don't kill anything, just oh well, that's life. Um, so I'm a little bit of a weird duck there. I I'm interested to, if you have any thought, and again, I don't want to put you on the spot, but uh, are are we in the hunting world heading the right direction as a collective community, based on the on the understanding that our message, if it doesn't match our, our, our stated motivations for why we hunt, our message is something else. Society's going to look at that and say, Hmm, I'm not sure what role hunting and, and hunters have going forward. I, I know that might put you in a hard spot, but, uh,
1: yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find the,
0: the safe place to answer. No, <laughs> not the safe place, but
1: just like, you know, thinking through it, I, I, My personal belief is that hunting is definitely the image that we're putting out there to the rest of the world has improved vastly. Yes, I I would agree with that. Um, You know, in the time period that I've been involved in the the industry, you know, watching it, you know, from the inside, you know, for as long as I have, I think it definitely has improved. Um, And I think, you know, the the movement uh, associated with food is a really awesome opportunity. Super. You know, because it it's true, and it's not something that the hunting industry has to like, you know, glom onto because it's like an accepted movement for people like wanting to, you know, get their own food, their own ways. But it's it's a true aspect of, you know, what's important to hunting, and and I think that that's that's great. There's always going to be, you know, the um, the back and forth between hunters and non hunters as to why it's important. And I think that having people that can speak up in in a, in a way that like, you know, fits the bill and, and, and makes more sense is, is really an important aspect. I mean, I worked as a hunting guide and gardener and I simultaneously was, you know, doing photography for Patagonia and I was, you know, running a ecological research center out of cook city, you know, and it's like, I mean, I'm the, like Patagonia wearing like hunting guide, you know, type of person. And I think that, you know, I was working on, you know, coyote studies and alongside the Doug Smith wolf studies and like getting to experience different ways. And I think that that's a, as long as you can understand where other people are coming from,
0: mm-hmm
1: people will find a way to like work together to understand what's happening. Yeah. Uh, and I, I personally think the hunting industry is doing some great things. There's aspects of it obviously that are, you know, not great. Um, right. But I think that the more people that we have supporting companies that are doing it in the right way and supporting conservation and working with those organizations, I think that that's a, it's a good thing. And I think that we have to be the leaders and we have to be the people that are pushing it, you know, into that that
0: space, I guess. Yeah. No, I, I agree completely. And that's, I, I don't, that's always a hard question to answer because it's, and it gives the impression that you're being judgmental about others and their messages. And it's, I don't mean it that way at all. I, I ask myself every day, every message I produce, every photo I post, every video that gets posted or, or every episode we air, uh, I go back to our original business plan and it's all about why am I doing this? Everything in my, the first executive summary of my business plan for these media messages is why, 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 why? And does the stuff I put out, does it meet the why criteria? The how, the what, the everything else, ah, it'll take care of itself. And for me, the why was about making sure that what I do, what I can contribute to this process helps the helps hunting conservation all the things that that we love and and hold dear and so that's that's uh that's part of why I'm uh I'm always interested in what you guys are doing because uh you know the, you guys try it try and experiment uh doing some really cool things and I'm like ooh. I like that. <laughs> so I, I don't know if you have a, a business methodology patent on some of the things you do, but at times I'm, I'm uh, peeking in saying, Hey, I might try that. So
1: yeah, that's a, that's a great compliment for sure. <laughs> I, mean, I think that that's the, that happens more and more frequently, you know? And, and I think that that's a, you have to look at it as that, that as a, as a compliment and and not not be frustrated that other people are like you know starting to go down that path like th- that was our that was our goal like yeah. make it authentic make it about the experience and if we can do that and companies get behind it then other companies will get behind it which means more people will think that that's important yeah and it won't be just about like how big stuff is yeah i mean i don't get me wrong like i want to kill a giant <laughs> bull elk right that's every single year yeah. and i'll like i'll pass up on bulls that other people are like what are you doing and it's not it's about the challenge and the effort that goes into it and uh, yeah that's uh I think if you if you do stuff that people respect and and you know follow the rules and and play by the rules more people will do that and I think we do that with our our company all the time and and the companies that we work with and the media that we get to help produce is I think it's on the you know cutting edge of what people are doing right now and I think
0: that that's a it's pushing the hunting industry in the right direction for sure. Yeah. Well, the the interesting part is that hunting in media and messaging is is not an island of itself. We are part of a bigger demographic and a society that it's changing fast. I mean, TV is, you know, uh, not just in the hunting world, but across the, the entire society, you know the cord cutting syndrome, if you want to call it that, is causing people to consume media way different than I grew up consuming media. The there's still a large TV audience, but a younger and different audience is now a, very much a digital audience. And one of our common partners, Gerber, uh, they they come to me and they're Randy, they're 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 very straightforward is randy we are about digital messaging that's where our future is that's a big part of where our customer is we love your hunt talk forum we like that you're doing this youtube channel blah 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 um that's going to be a huge change for the hunting world just because of who we are demographically whereas if you look at our bell curve we're a little bit older than the rest of society we're a little more homogenous you know mostly white male um but that's not going to stay that way forever. And that's going to create a huge amount of opportunity for, for those who want to take advantage of it.
1: Oh, most certainly. That And that's the, I think we've, as a younger person in the industry, I'm not as young, I guess, as I was. How old was. are you, Mark? Can I ask you? I'm 37. 37. Okay. Um, I had to think about that for a little <laughs> bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When I got started in this, I guess, in like my mid-20s, you know, like... I, I wasn't, I didn't watch TV. I didn't have a TV. You know, I didn't have the money to pay for cable. You know, like I wanted to be out there and going, going for it. it. What I did have access to is like things started coming up was online. You know, I had a computer so I could see stuff online. And and that's one aspect of why I've never really done, you know, anything specifically for television. Mm -hmm. Um, We've made commercials, you know, uh, as a production company, but it's a that 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 part's hard you know and Mm -hmm. and we've had this talk a lot of times it's a television's hard like i think a lot of people have you know misconceptions of what you know tv guys and and you know how much money they make and all that kind of stuff like i see the the one-man band tv shows that i don't know how they make it yeah you know where the there's a one hunter and he's also the editor and his buddies filming him and like all (laughs) those type of things like that's a it's hard you know the the sponsorship dollars that are coming out there for anybody like below the top like you know whatever that top percentage is they're not they're not huge right you know and people are bootstrapping a lot of it and I think that that's a people do it because they love it you know and I think for us it's always been you know we we want to control the messaging in a way that gives us the freedom to you know tell a shorter story or tell a longer story and You know, not make it about what, um, you know, a a TV network wants, right? uh, With a number of commercials and the number of episodes. And I don't like that type of pressure. Like, I like the pressure associated with like pulling off a a very well
0: done piece of content.
1: Yeah. Like, like, you know, that we can put the time into.
0: How how many hours, maybe you shouldn't measure it in hours, maybe it's years, did you put into it? You did that piece searching for West. When did that air? Three years ago,
1: I guess it would yeah. have been. Um, it came out in August of 2012. Twelve, four years ago then, almost. So okay. four years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. The amount of time and effort that went into that was was crazy. Yeah. You know, and the, you know, obviously like the pre-production started on that. We got some funding, you know, to tell a elk hunting story because everybody wants elk hunting stories and uh, elk hunting stories. They're dime a dozen they're everywhere everybody's got them and there's no way to tell like the the best elk hunting story ever and i think as we started to look at that we were like okay we have to like key into the experience and and you know working with some great friends on the production side at that time they were like well we can you know like pop up you know with the the red camera from behind you like right as you're about to shoot the elk and it's just like that that stuff's hard you know Mm -hmm. and and we came i guess like the story we try to like figure out what our story is long before we go into the field to, to shoot it and that one was like while we we're in the production you know pre-production talking about this elk hunting story we found out we were expecting um our first child and so it was a i was like well this is the story yeah. you know the how this whole thing plays out with having a baby right before hunting season and the importance that hunting plays in my life to my job yeah And the fact that I pretty much have to be there, but I also have to be at home. I think that once we pulled that one off in a way that people respected and not, not everybody got it and people, you know, to, to this day, I get comments almost daily from people, you know, about that piece that was released almost four years ago. You know, I think it was an important piece for the hunting industry. It was a very important piece for our business and our, our belief in what hunting is. Yeah uh, and our belief in that you could tell stories that didn't involve like shooting an elk. Right. Um, and that was a tough fall. That was a hard, that was a hard fall, the amount of days that we put in, but it pushed me to, you know, find new areas and you know, the, yeah, it was, it was a incredible, it was incredible experience. And I think the fact that we could pull off a story of that magnitude about something that was, um, so different, I think it gave a lot of belief in other companies that we could tell, you know, more of those type of stories. And we started to look for stories more within the space, more about the people and like what goes on versus just the outcome. Yeah. Um, and that was a big, that was a big learning lesson. I mean, I remember standing up like in front of like, we had a premiere in Bozeman and it was like <laughs> standing room only. Like we sold out like a place. And there was, I mean, I think it was like 800 and some people, you know, I remember being like, Man, everybody is expecting me to
0: <laughs> kill an elk in this film,
1: and like I don't. And like I was nervous, yeah. you know, to see what would happen. And and uh, but confident in knowing that we had a, a great message, yeah. Um, that was that was cool, it was a very important moment. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. I, 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 in th- the, the, great story, great production, I mean, high production values. To me, what was very interesting was to see that. You had decided, even a, uh, with all the that, that you had writing on it, that it was going to be distributed digitally. It it's never aired on a TV platform anywhere, has it? No. no. And it right isn't. now, someone could go watch it on at ccatcreative.com.
1: You can see it from our website. Searching
0: for west.com
1: is okay. still still there. It's on YouTube for all the companies that like played with it. But it was yeah. it was mostly, you know, we're a social media based company. You know, we do social media. We do high-end production. We do photography. We do all that type of stuff. So, for us, it was like we looked at a way to increase the distribution associated with it, so we could reach as many eyeballs as possible. Yeah. And I think there was like I can't remember how many companies were involved in the distribution model that we set up. But it was it was you know ingenious. It was yeah. it was different, and and uh, it you know the the giveaways, the products, like all that kind of stuff. That you know we people. You know, we're able to like get all these amazing things, and like it was, it was a cool thing to give away. It was all we wanted was to spread the message, yeah. you know, and like it was, it was cool to get involved with a lot of companies that you know only a few companies like helped fund the project, and I think those companies were, um, Sika, Leica, and Gore Tex, mm-hmm. and everybody else like was willing to help and share the spread the message, uh, and we created a distribution plan that. You know, reached millions of people, yeah. and uh, I, I think that that was cool because it was spreading a message about the good parts of hunting yep. and stuff that's important, in a in a way that hadn't been done before, and and that was cool. And yeah, it's it, and the the length is like, if you look at the length, it's like the exact same length as a TV show. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. and that was done on purpose. No,
0: it's well, and. Again, I, I go out and I look at anything that catches my eye and I've went out and looked at that and given it a lot of thought. And the reason being is I've concluded in today's world, you can't be in just one place. You have to be in all places, which is why we've started a, this podcast when we felt we had some, we and our guests had some important messages for listeners. Uh, so there, there's that digital platform. We still have TV, um, and a little plug for TV. Our first episode premieres July 3rd uh, on Sportsman's Channel, it's, uh, nine o'clock Sunday nights, Mountain Time. I don't know. I, I quit doing the math of what that is East Time, Eastern Time. But so, uh, but we're doing something next Monday and we started promoting it this week is we've filmed some episodes and this, this takes a lot of extra time and a lot of extra costs to do these experiments. But we have two episodes coming up that are going to be YouTube exclusives because we, we feel that in addition to TV, we also have to be in other places and whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all all that. But YouTube is a place where, we're trying to reach more people and maybe this is a shameless plug. So I'm just going to say it and (laughs) and hopefully the audience will suffer with it. But on Monday, June 27th, people are going to be able to go to YouTube, go to our Randy Newberg Hunter channel. And that's the only place they're going to be able to watch this episode. And it's going to get turned. It's loaded already. We're just going to turn the switch and say, make it live at seven o'clock mountain time on Monday and we're gonna promote it heavily for a month just to see what kind of results you can get on a digital platform. And it's a little shorter than a normal TV episode. Um, I think it's 17 minutes. Um, But uh, the other part of it is, uh, you know the camera guy who filmed this, Tyler Johnerson. we filmed it really what i'll call raw in a lot of respects we just wanted the running and gunning and the the yelling at each other are you on them no i'm not on them or hey i'm on them no that's the it. and i've watched it many times and it's got a pretty different feel to it it's still our self-guided public land message um but i wanted the audience to get that feel of, Oh, this is what's really going on out there because in TV, there's this expectation to have this really polished production level and not that we're going to compromise that, but there's a lot of things in this one that would never have been put in into TV. And so watching you and how you guys did searching for West and how some of the other projects you guys have worked on being strictly digital projects, uh, I've, I've been out there doing my Intel uh, stuff you do and a few others who I respect to just see how do you, how do you take this message uh, and and put it in other places, especially in the digital world? Because I'm a firm believer that 10 years from now, the digital world is going to be the world. TV will always have some relevance, but let's face it, society is going a certain direction And whether we as hunters want to go that direction or not, as new hunters or, you know, as people get, as society, this generation, millennials or whatever, become the peak of the bell curve, our media consumption is going to match what their media consumption habits are. And I think that's going to be heavily digital. So I'm either going to fall on my face with these experiments and and, uh, going to have to go get a job washing dishes or mowing lawns to to make up for all we've invested in it. But, uh, I I'm hoping it works out. Yeah.
1: I think we're already there. I mean, I, mean, we've, we purposely stayed away from TV for that very reason that we think it's already there. And as like, you know, a younger guy and I employ a lot of younger people, like, you know, the, how they consume media has always been very important to what what we do you know and and uh, a lot of people don't don't have the the time or the you know the want and desire like i there's a few tv shows that like i'll you know set record on whatever the system is i have you know and and uh you know and watch them because i like the people you Mm -hmm. know i like the people in them but i i I don't uh i don't typically watch you know much tv i like watching sporting events live sports is like all i really care about (laughs) on television but um you know the uh that other aspect is people are people are online and and they they've been there and and you've seen you know the as these companies in the hunting space like are understanding that more and more the shift of dollars you know away from that and and it that's the hard aspect of it like right. you know you have to shift dollars and we've seen the shift from print dollars and we've seen the shift from tv dollars into you know more media that can be shared in different ways and different areas, whether it's social media or pieces that live on the internet. Like it's a, you can still reach a lot of people and, and there's some interesting companies that we work with that are doing it in great ways currently. And, and understanding what that model looks like and how to reach people is, you know, it's possible. Yeah. You know, I can only imagine what we would do. Like if we had really searching for West, like now, the number of people we could reach by right. how we understand the model more now, yeah, um, and and how the companies we work with are doing that, it's a, it's a tremendous, tremendous reach yeah. potential, you know, and I'm not even sure we're, we're in the millions and millions of views on that on that film, but
0: I mean we could we could blow it out of the water now, yeah. Well, know? to me it's just you know i i want to be in every space that i possibly can with with my message so we'll see how it works we have a later this year in addition to this montana elk hunt that airs on monday the 27th later this year we have an alaska black bear hunt that uh, is going to be youtube only so we'll uh we'll find out maybe uh you know, maybe I'll be calling you. Hey, Mark, you need a janitor? I, <laughs> I've uh, I've uh, worn out my welcome and all this other stuff that I've been doing. So, but we're uh, I I promised Mark I wouldn't keep him too late because uh, you have a baby due this week, don't you?
1: Uh, official due date is July second. Oh, okay. I, so, I got a, a text from my wife during this that uh-oh. we just had a checkup and everything's looking good. So, okay. Uh, we have a
0: we have some. We have some time. <laughs> if, you if, somehow, never know. if the audience hears the microphone drop on the floor and the door slam, it's that Mark got the text. Get here now, darling, because things are happening. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So any day, it's
1: pretty exciting times. In yeah.
0: Household. Well, um, one of the things I, I'd really like to ask you is, you've been on a lot of hunts in a lot of places doing some cool things. Of all the hunts you've been on, is there one that's on your list of I got to go do that again? Well, that's a really good question.
1: <laughs> um, <clears throat> I like all. I mean, all the trips are fantastic, and I I love the NWT. I love hunting doll sheep. I love being on doll sheep hunts. Yeah, going with people I, that the Northern Mackenzie Mountains are. I would say are one of the most tremendous places in the world, yeah. and I just. I'm working on a project now where I'm, like, you know, spending six hours of my day going through, like, I think we have, like, 12 or 16 hunts up there doing that. Wow. So I'm going through all the historical footage. And it's just fun. I just find myself, like, you know, with my headphones on, just, like, laughing and smiling <laughs> and, and looking at that place and, and reliving those experiences. Like, um, I think a lot of people, you know, want the Grand Slam or the Finaz. you know. Yeah. And, and of all of them, and like I, I would love to just have, you know, and never ending. I would love to go doll sheep hunting every single year, for the rest of my life. Like yeah. I could never ever get enough of that. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's the that's the one. And the the people that I've been able to go on those trips with, and the the time where you totally unplug, mm-hmm. and you're you don't even have service. You don't even worry about emails. You. You know, you have a, a, a phone and a sat phone to check in with your family, which is like the most important thing that you have to do while you're out there. Yeah. You know, that that's a, a, an unlike any other experience. And I think anything that I get to do where I get to do that is is super motivating. But that area, you know, any, any sheep hunt is, is a fantastic experience. And, and I like being in the high mountains and I like, you know, backpacking for a long time. The last big one we did was we had a backpack hunt that was 22 days long Wow. and that was a, that was a tremendous adventure. Yeah. And I'd go back and do that one
0: immediately, you yeah. know? So th- I guess that answers the question. Okay. Just, so then there's, everyone has a bucket list of some sort. If, you know, all the places you've traveled, all the hunters you interact with, I mean, a lot of times my bucket list, like what was high on my bucket list until last year was, uh, Sitka blacktails because I had a friend in Southeast Alaska who is just like the sitka nut of the world. And I, a lot of times I think our bucket list gets a little bit influenced by people we interact with or cross paths with. So is there, if, if work wasn't dictating where and how and what you did, is there a, a hunt that marked this? I got to get, I, I want to go do this in the next five years and it can be anywhere in the world with any species, any, any weapon whatever maybe it's frog gigging i don't know i doubt it but uh. yeah i really like target fishing That's oh yeah really okay
1: that works too um,
0: <laughs> but
1: yeah i don't i don't i don't really know i think that for me it's i don't i don't really have that bucket list i don't have like something that i have to have to do right. have to achieve you know it's like i just want to get it maximizes many days as I can, you know, and I would just say any hunt in the high mountains with good friends, like and as I, you know, do it more, I would say that it would be archery related. Yeah. You know, and whether that's moose or mountain caribou or doll sheep, I mean those are those are all fantastic. I'd love to, you know, I'm really excited about the opportunity when I do draw some of those like glory tags. Yeah. For elk because I know I'll put a lot of pressure on myself and I'm look I like that. thrive on that so i'm looking forward to getting some of those um but really i feel like every fall i have something that is like my one trip a year that's like it's not really a bucket list trip but it's something that i'm motivated by yeah and hopefully you know that's it happens every year i have one or two or six trips like that that i've planned and really looked forward to so that's a i'm not sure like i mean it yeah, I'd, I'd, I would maximize the number of days I spend on a skiff catching tarpon. Like, for sure, that's, uh, that's been well, a newfound love.
0: For, for me, I, I, what you were just starting to say there of how every fall you have some of those on that list of trips that you've put together, I I almost pinch myself every once in a while and say, guess what, Randy? Everything that you have on your calendar this fall is probably a dream experience for someone who's watching or listening. And, and I try to never take that for granted. I try to show how much fun and pleasure can be had in every one of these trips. And so I, I, it's almost an embarrassment of riches to get to do what I get to do. Uh, and I'm eternally grateful for that. I'm really grateful that I have a wife, thank you, Kim, uh, who puts up with me doing this and supports me doing it and realizes that, you know, there are no guarantees in life and Randy, if that's your dream and that's your passion and that's what you're allowed to do, um, go do it. And, and then one that I want to repeat, and this one was tentatively on the calendar for the upcoming season, but it got moved because we drew some limited entry tags that, you know, when you draw a limited entry tag, it's like, well, I better go do that because it's going to be eight years before I draw it again. And you're probably going to think this is crazy, but <clears throat> on the calendar was going back to my little hometown back in northern Minnesota and shooting rough grouse, or partridge as they call them back there. And every time I go back there, I can drive by these places that, oh, I remember when my dad, he carried me out of there and gave me a piggyback ride out of there. I was six years old, and we were in there grouse hunting. And it's it's almost like getting back to this most simple, basic connection of what got me started down this path i've i've lived for the last 40 years and and i i even find some of the big game hunts i'm now rotating back towards if you want to call it that are those really simple anyone can go do it you know they're there's something peculiar or, or at least for me having grown up in Minnesota about sitting in the cottonwood bottoms of Montana and watching whitetails in November do their crazy rut. I think I could just sit there without a rifle and have a hell of a lot of fun doing that. And so for me, it's, uh, I'm now feeling like what uh, my one friend calls it. You're a boomerang hunter. You go out and then you kind of come back to where you started. Um, so I, I, I don't know that I'll ever have, quote unquote, a bucket list, but if there was ever a really fun public land, Roosevelt, Elkhunt, that I knew that I could plan and figure out myself. And so I'm sure now all the the Oregon and Washington listeners are going to say, Randy, have I got an idea for you? But I don't know. There's just something about those landscapes out there on the coast that that appealed to me and it's not so much the elk I don't think as it is the uniqueness of where the hunt unfolds kind of like your talk about the northwest territories it's a lot of times it's the landscape that interests me as much as it is the species in the hunt
1: well and the time that you get to spend there you know and the the people you know the places like those are the most important things like that's I think that you know that landscape and where you get a chance to go and like you get to be there for the time period is is cool and you take those experiences home with you you know it doesn't end and uh, I think that that's that's really cool and you were mentioning going back to like your hometown in Minnesota like those are you know and, and back to the bucket list things like time spent with my dad time spent with my godfather times you know that I will get to spend you know with you know my sons and my family. That's all stuff that I'm I I can't wait to do. I watch like, you know Tom Foss, a friend of mine, and lives in Alberta, and like his sons Cam and Adam. Like, the fact that they get to like go on sheep hunts with their dad, like mm-hmm. and and multiple times a year, and like <laughs> you know I think that that's a tremendous tremendous thing, and like I can't wait to you know hopefully be in that same position you know with my kids like down the road and be that dad that's still fit and strong, you know, that can like move through the woods and, and the mountains and the hills with them. I think that will be really neat. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's a, that's an aspect of it that I think is really cool. And whether that's boomerang or whatever, I, I think that's a, it's part of sharing it, yeah. you know, with the next generation. And I think that's a really cool aspect of hunting as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, as someone who occasionally your stuff shows up in my feeds on social media, uh, when you were talking about hunting with your dad you guys have quite a tradition of antelope hunting in montana i i see you post a lot of really uh powerful thoughts about what that hunt means when you and your dad and and i think a couple of other family members go with you out there and, it, and people say like antelope hunting in eastern montana i'm sure it's not just that it's antelope or that it's the prairies of eastern montana it's it's, it's kind of back to what you said. It's, it's all the things, the connection. The... Yeah, it's
1: my you know, earliest hunting experiences were antelope and, and mule deer and elk and those type of things. But antelope's like what my dad loves the most. He loves that landscape. He lo- I mean, it's incredible excitement for him to, to go out there every year and do the exact same thing, camp in the exact same spot, eat the exact same food, like, you know, do the exact same hunts, the same stocks, like, and, you know, and shoot an antelope that's about the same every time, you know? And I think that's really cool. And we've been able to have those experiences with my, my grandfather hunted out there. My mom hunted out out there. My sister Lisa shot an antelope when she was 12 out there. My um, you know, a, a very close friend of ours who's ninety six used to hunt out there for forever. I took my friend Les Househour on his last hunt before he passed away from cancer in that exact same spot. You know, and I think that those are that that place is like it. There's those trips, and every single person has them. You know, like yeah. something that they have done for a long time, and that's what makes it special. That's what makes it really cool. And and I think that that's a pretty tremendous. For me, that's a tremendous hunt. That's something that's always blocked off, always going to do it. I'm going to be going out there with my dad and my kids and my family and my friends, you know, for as long as I live to that exact same spot. Like, you know, and it's not the biggest antelope in the world, but it doesn't matter one bit, you know, I mean, and I love antelope meat. I think it's one of the best (laughs) things there is. And we figured out a great way to take care of them so that it, you know, is, is fantastic food. And it's a... Yeah, I love that. Yeah, love that time of year. Love that area.
0: I yeah. love Eastern Montana. Oh, I I love all the above, and I hearing you say that, Mark. I you know my dad passed away in two thousand four, so it's been twelve years now. And I, if if the listeners take away anything from this podcast, I hope that they'll they'll think about what you just described of what that hunt, wherever it it could have been someone talking about a whitetail hunt in Ohio or talking about a, a duck hunt in Arkansas, whatever. I, uh, I hope that you'll go, if you're listening, that you will block out one of your trips this year, whether it's a one day trip, a weekend trip, whatever to go and do some of those kind of things, because Someday that person's not going to be here to go hunting with them. I mean, I'm in that situation where, you know, my dad's been gone for 12 years, and what I wouldn't give to go and have another another rough grass hunt with him. But it's not going to happen. Point being, though, the the value and and just what those hunts would what it meant to him when I came back to Minnesota to deer hunt one year was like. He was, you know, uh, for a month it was like a daily phone call. The rest of the year I wouldn't hear from him but once a month on the phone. But, man, when it was this deer hunt, it was just this special thing. And and that was when I was in my 30s and I wasn't young or I was too young to quite grasp how much it meant to him. Um, but hearing you say that about how how it means so much to your family and and uh, I I think we all need some of that. We need to go back to to what kind of connects us and grounds us to what got us here. And, and we'll remind ourselves this is what it's really about. And I just, I hope you guys keep doing it forever and I hope that your your family gets to go and do it with their grandpa. and, and it It just stays part of that. And for you and for other listeners who have those kind of family hunts, I hope they keep those going because that—that that really is what, when we get down to it, that's what it's really all about, for me anyhow, without a doubt. Yeah, but so we're—I'm—I'm uh, I'm probably holding you a little longer than I—I I promised you, Mark. So I'm—I'm going to wrap this up a little bit here, um, but I'm not going to let you. There, there's two things you're going to have to do. One, if, if, is there anything we haven't covered that you want to? interject
1: i don't think so okay I think you're doing a good job it. <laughs> okay uh
0: and then uh going swinging back to public land out Cunning. um i whenever we have guests on that i th- i think are are well known for for a certain activity i always ask them you got one or two really critical points that uh uh maybe the listener would benefit from, they may already know, but maybe they just, you know, in our hurry or our our distractions. Is there some basic, all right, this is whenever I'm struggling with my hunt, this is something that I take myself back to, whether it's a mental thing, whether it's whatever, it's something that you think a listener who's getting to that point in elk hunting, what's as far what's, as like what, frustrations like during uh, or, a hunt, or yeah. Like or what's the one piece of advice you would give them that you think is going to help them most in reaching their their goals or having the success they're hoping to have?
1: Yeah, I guess just like if you find yourself in that situation where you're frustrated or you know it's not working out, just remember how lucky you are to be there, you know, and to like not have to think about work or you're hunting. You know, (laughs) I mean, you're, you're involved in this like really cool experience and like try to soak it up and remember that there's no, there's no real pressure. Like, you know, try to, don't be as hard on, on yourself and, and, you know, put a lot of pressure and enjoy it, like soak it up because you don't know when it's going to go away. You know, you don't know, um, you know, how many days you have. So I think it's a try not to put as much pressure on yourself and, and soak it up. Like, you know, be in the moment as much as you can.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I think we're all guilty of that at times of putting too much pressure on ourselves and it distracts. It it can distract from the real pleasure of the experience. I, I'm guilty of it. I, <laughs> I I wish I could say I wasn't, but there's times where I've got my mind locked into something and it's like, take a breath, Randy, look at where you're at. Look at what you're doing. It's, yeah. Great, great thought. Great comment on that. And, so, Mark, I'm uh, I'm going to let you go. I'm I'm not going to give any marital advice, uh, like I do a lot of times on the podcast. Um, my the NRA, if you get the NRA magazine, American Hunter, uh, just it came out this week, and I'm in trouble at home uh, because Pat Durkin had heard me giving marital advice on this podcast, and he said, I want to interview you and Steve Rinella and about marital advice, how you guys get to hunt so much. And uh, So he wrote an article in American Hunter, and a bunch of people emailed me about it. And my wife's like, what are they talking about? So I handed her the article, and she's like... Oh, you're pretty smug there, mister. You you think you got it all figured out, huh? I'm thinking, uh-oh, this was not a good idea, Randy. You've been married 27 years. You should have not opened your mouth to this degree. So how do you and Katie work such a crazy schedule with two kids?
1: I think it's, uh, I mean, it, obviously we we communicate very well, yeah, and we haven't always done that. And I think mm. that, you know, for me it's come – but the amount of time that I spend in the field has, has gone gone down dramatically as my phone falls to the floor waiting on my text message. Um, it, it's, I used to hunt a lot, right. you know, a, a, a tremendous amount of days in the field. And when I first got started, I mean, my first, my first like date, you know, with my wife was a six day elk hunt, you know, so <laughs> it was like. That's a good start. I, I think she, she's always really understood and she helped found our business and, mm-hmm. And has always understood that it's really important, and I think that, you know, as I've seen like younger couples, like you know, employees that we have in our in our company, as they they struggle with that time as well. It's all about communication and yeah. being able to say, yeah, you know, I. There's a tremendous amount of opportunities that come across my plate. As I'm the same for you, and uh, it's it's about like understanding what makes the most sense, yeah. the time of year, what you know, what stuff you can. You can do and and how much time you want to be away. I love being a dad more than anything else in my life, and yep. um, and I think that that you know that's how I approach like everything is how how can I be a great husband? How can I be a great business owner? How can I be a great dad, a great son? And try to think about those things before I'm like, hey, I have all these opportunities, <laughs> um, and make sure that they make sense, you know. And it's like. We haven't always been good at that, and I've said yes to things and and you know committed to things, and then had to like, you know, tell my wife about them. And I've learned that it's just be upfront okay. and like this opportunity came up, like, okay, we'll talk about that, you know, when, when it's time to talk about it. And it's a I think that's an important aspect of it is to you know have a really good open line of communication. But it's also my business, yeah, and it's our job. And yeah. so I get away with a lot because of that. Um, she doesn't buy that excuse so much anymore, <laughs> um, you know, and luckily we have other people, you know, and within our business that get to go have those experiences and we're able to send people on great, great trips and do that kind of stuff. Whereas back in the day, was, I had to be it. Right. I was the here. photographer. I was the guy filming. I was the guy hunting. Yeah. Um, now it's more... I can pick and choose what, what I want to do and what is really important to me. Uh, and based on the timeline, you know, of what's going on with our family. And, and I think that that's really, that's important is to make sure that your priorities are, are straight and everybody listening here is a hunter. yeah. So they can like, uh, I think that they're, you know, probably being like, ah, oh, well you get to go and hunt and get paid to do it and all those type of things. And might, you know, call BS on some of that, but it's a, I try to be very respectful to my family in terms of that time. And I understand how important that time is. You don't get it back. No. You know, um, my buddy Les always would say like, they grow so quickly that you will not believe how quickly the moment goes by. And so you better soak it up because it's, it's gone in a flash. And he told me one time, you know, he was like, I would go back immediately to when my kids were just born. I would relive it. I would like, cause it just, it's gone so quickly. Yeah. And if you don't soak it up, like, you know, you're, you're going to be missing out on that later on. And I, I have taken that to heart and it's very important. That time is like, I put a priority on my, my time with my family and, and at times it's not great for business because it's like, right. I'm focused so heavily on that. And I turned down a lot of opportunities, um, because of family stuff. And, you know, I try not to miss a birthday. I've done, not done so good on my anniversaries. It, like, falls, like, right in the middle of, like, the opening few, you know, hunts for oh. sheep hunts in the NWT. <laughs> and so I think I'm, like, two for five. Uh-oh. Um, I'll be here this year, which is a good thing. Mm. Um, but we got birthdays in August. August 19th is Wes's birthday. Towns was born on September 9th, like, right mm. in the middle of archery yeah. season. And I just won't miss those. Right. And everybody always gives me a hard time while hunting season babies. Like, what were you doing? And it's just like um, Adam Foss, his his birthday is like late September. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the time, you know, I think you're always like, oh, I'm missing these days. But eventually, like we're going to be spending birthdays hunting sheep and we're going to be spending birthdays hunting elk. And that's that's pretty cool um, to be able to do that. And, you know, I know that I'll be spending a lot of time in the field with my kids. And so that'll be that'll be fun stuff to look forward to. Yeah, well,
0: there is no greater pleasure and no greater job that we have than being parents and spouses. And I am, I, I married so far up the ladder, Mark, that from the rung I was at, I couldn't even see what was that high up the ladder. Or as my one friend says, I outkicked my coverage by a long ways, and. And I never take that for granted as much as I joke about it or write about it. Um, when I'm not hunting, it's all about what is it for my family? That's it. I mean, yeah, business has to be business, but I am never going to put business or a contract or whatever above something that's important to my family. I just, this is who I am. I just, and in the long run, none of that stuff is as important as being the husband i am being the dad that i want to be and and it's it's by by making those my priorities kind of like you were explaining now my son's 26 and yes it happens really really fast so don't don't miss a day that you you don't have to um but now uh hunting is a big part of the fabric of what binds our family a lot of our activities a lot of the stuff we do is woven you know the common thread that weaves it all is is hunting fishing and being outdoors so um, i'm glad i made a deal that is it is i I mean what a great country i mean we live in a place where we can hunt and fish and do all these things and it becomes such a part of who we are and who we who we identify with and how we how we live our lives so yeah we're super fortunate yeah without a doubt well, Mark, thanks so much for, uh, for taking the time here to spend with us today. Uh, I promised the audience this would be kind of a campfire chat and it, it's kind of turned out that way. Um, and our paths will allow us to have more of these chats and we probably won't have microphones in front of us at that time. But, uh, I want to thank all of you for listening. Um, couple things I want to leave you with is, yeah, we have this YouTube exclusive episode that, uh, uh airs june 27th 7 p.m mountain time uh, and you can watch it anytime after that it's just that's what it's going to go live on on youtube uh and our tv show the premiere there on sportsman channel starts july 3rd sunday night nine o'clock mountain time uh both of these happen to be really really cool elk hunts um and uh the other thing that you're going to see when the tv show starts is we are having one great big giveaway this summer uh, this summer and this fall from July through December, we are giving away tens of thousands of dollars of product and starting July 1st, you will be able to find out everything about that drawing and that big sweepstakes. no purchase necessary, uh, out on Randy So go to our YouTube channel, subscribe there. It's free. Uh, and you'll be notified when all these new content pieces are there. And, uh, Mark, thanks so much. Uh, Hope I didn't keep you too long from, no, I from Katie. I and
1: appreciate your, you having me here. So. Yeah,
0: and we'll do it again sometime. Sounds awesome. All right. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great day.